the moral of the story is use the people in your network, even if it seems very tangential and, and not direct. So first off, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself and what you can expect. I have been in the business now for coming up on 30 years. What we're going to talk about in this podcast are things that go on in my day-to-day life, whether it be as a manager, whether it be as a consultant, whether it be as someone who is creating products that's helping musicians all over the world. If there's something going on in the industry, we're going to talk about it. If there's a strategy that needs to be taught, we're going to talk about it. And if there's some way that I can help get you closer to your goal, then you are in the right place because that's what we are going to talk about here on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now let's jump into the episode. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Hey guys, in this episode of the podcast, I am super excited because I get to reacquaint with a gal that I literally stalked uh, during the DIY Musicians Conference. I was fortunate to be a guest on her podcast a couple weeks ago, so I invited her to be a guest on mine. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the world famous, fabulous. Today, I was also referred to as brilliant and iconic, so I'm going to refer to you as brilliant and iconic, Cheryl B. Engelhart. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Wow. Like the first like, real introduction I've like ever done for this. So you got to live up to that stuff. I'm just saying. Done. So, Handles. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing, I'm wearing earrings. I know. Happened, I know. So. It's, so it's kind of nice for those of you uh, listening to the podcast. They're gorgeous. For those of you that might be watching this, uh, <laughs> how great they are. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then let's jump into the things that we want to talk about that can change the world when it comes to relationship building, uh, yeah. fan building and engagement through email marketing. Totally. Um, so I'm a musician. Uh, I've toured, I've got four records out. I've done the whole singer songwriter thing. Um, I actually got my start as a composer and sort of have looped back around into that world doing, I did a lot of commercial stuff. I worked in New York city at a commercial house and then got into collegehumor.com. I did a lot of, um, parody series, web series scores, and then got into films and video games and, you know, composing for media, basically. And I also do a lot of work with choirs. So um, I've sort of paused on the the touring for a few years, really focusing as a writer, but I'm also collaborating. And I still come out with records and I have a licensing deal and I do all that, that jazz. So I've fan funded my last two records for over $20,000 each and really figured out how to use my email list to really foster that relationship so that is possible. Um, I've gotten about 40 TV and commercial placements of my songs and toured all over Switzerland and Europe and the United States. And yeah, and I used to be a scuba diver for the government. That was my first job out of college. So there you okay. go. So basically you're an underachiever. Uh, mm-hmm. You're lazy. That's what yep. I gathered with everything mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Great. Now, what I gathered was, is that you've been able to wear multiple hats. You've been able to shift with the tide You've been able to create multiple income streams, not just solely relying on one income. Rick, I make the tides. Oh, there you go. That's a tweet, by the way. That's a tweet. But not everyone is in a position to just start scoring films or creating music for video games or things like that. When did you realize that 
there were so many different options out there. You know, most artists just think it's, I got to write a song and get on the radio. That's all there is for me. If I don't get on the radio, I'm a failure. You know, it's, but you, when did you realize at what point in your career did you go, wow, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff that I can do with my music? Yeah. I'm, I think the first point was when I, I, my, one of my first jobs after I decided I wanted to do music was working at a, a commercial production company. So they were the ones that edited the commercials. And, um, I, I took the job. It was a friend of a friend who got me the job and I just took it just cause I, you know, bills and I was a messenger. So I was running around Manhattan delivering beta tapes to ad agencies. And I realized I was like, who are the people that put music on the, these commercials? And like, sure. what if I got the editor music first. Cause I, I, you know, I'd see the clients come in and they would just throw in some like, you know, Sarah McLaughlin track that they knew they could never get the rights to, but then they would have to go talk to a composer. And I was like, what if I could be that person? Um, and say, Hey, don't throw a Sarah McLaughlin track on, throw a, Sh- a Cheryl Bingler track on. Right. And so it, that was the first point where I was like, Oh, my songs, I could either compose original music for this and be that person, or I could create songs and have the songs go there. So I put a band together. I started just doing little shows around New York city and I I really loved gigging. I loved my bands. Um, so that just, just loving that sort of opened up the world of, Oh, I could, I could do that too. And it sort of stepped away from the, I need to write songs for commercials specifically. It's sort of that got me into the touring and all that stuff just because I liked it. So that was the first time, um, you know, when I was at that, that job, I saw that there were definitely multiple ways to get music onto medium like that. Sure. Now, did you have to go in and befriend somebody in the company or did you learn what the, the submission process was? Did you do it under the radar first? Cause you didn't want anybody thinking you, you know, got special treatment or what was your approach to reaching out to the person to say, Hey, how does this work? Who mentored oh. you? Yeah, no, I was like, give me special treatment for sure. <laughs> I wasn't, sne- there's no like sneaking around. I mean, the reason I, when I got that job, it was, you know, an entry level job. They said, you can work in the mailroom or you can work at the front desk. They were both, you know, being this. And I was like, mailroom. They're like, well, the girls normally were, I'm like, I heard you mailroom. Cause what I saw with the mailroom guys is that you deliver your packages. And then when you're waiting for the next package, you get to go hang out with the editors. And I got to sit in different editors rooms and I actually jumped their chain of, you know, sure. what the process normally is. And in, instead of waiting a year and a half to get promoted to assistant editor, I waited nine months. And then as assistant editor, my job was a lot of times to like go find some temp music that I, the editor can slide in the editor I was working for. So I, I, you know, I was like, here's three tracks and two of mine. And you know, that, that worked. And then when I left, when I ended up leaving that company, I stayed in touch with them and I just kept good. I would go to their parties and, and, you know, I said, here's in my new record. And I've had four records. Every single one of them goes to my editor friends. And I've actually, my biggest commercial placement to date, which was a $15,000 placement was because an editor friend took a track off of one of the CDs I gave him. Wow. So that works and it worked for me and not everyone has an internship at a production house to get started but you know it it the the moral of the story is use the people in your network even if it seems very tangential and and not direct because i at first to me i was like this is a pie in the sky kind of thing but then i was like this makes sense so if you find something that makes sense just keep doing it until it it works if you believe that it it makes sense and people are receptive to it like no one was like oh please don't give me your cd they were like great awesome cool like music that's ready to license that we don't have to go through red tape for like that you know present the opportunity to them and and if they say yes then you've got a yes 
What's interesting is Gary Vaynerchuk will tell people who say, hey, I want to open up my own ad agency. What should I do? He says, go intern or work for free at an ad agency for three years. Oh, yeah. You know, you're young, especially if you're in your 20s. So that's fantastic. So you also mentioned something that I want to get back to, and this will help lead into the email conversation, is that you were able to crowdfund your last two records with over $20,000 in funding. Share with people how big your email list was when you did that. Definitely. The first time it was probably around 800, 900. The second time, I think it was around 1300. So uh, under 2000 both times. And I I heard that at the DIY musician conference and it blew my mind because everyone always says, well, my list isn't big enough or I can't do what she did. Guys and gals, listen up. If you Mm -hmm. take one thing away from this, it's not the size of your list. It's the relationship with your list. And that's going to now segue into some of your tips and tricks for proper email conversations. I hate the word email marketing. Me too. Proper email conversations. I shared with someone as I was on a a, a guest earlier and I said, listen, I said, social media is not a marketing tool. It's a conversation tool. It gives you the ability to have conversations with people throughout the world. And now I'm teaching people utilize messenger. It's like, get them on your messenger and then ask for their email address. Cause it's a lot easier in messenger. Cause it's a different level of conversation that you're having to say, Hey, I have something for you. Tell me where to send it versus give me your email. I'll send you a download. That's been going on for years. What were some of the things that you did early on to do this? And then I'm going to still from a podcast that I heard you as a guest on when you started talking about the various emails that you put in a chain and where you got all these different ideas. I think you and Kevin Bruner were talking about it. So share a little bit about that. I just kind of led you down your own rabbit hole. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, that journey. Yeah, the I had an I knew email was important because when I was I started touring in about 2005. I'm really old, you guys. Um, so I started touring in 2005, and I I knew that the only way to stay in touch with people was through an email list. So I had I I don't know what prompted me to do that, but I figured that's what I should do. So that's how I collected most of my emails was just at venues. So I wasn't doing a big push, but I was vocal. I said I have this list. I want to stay in touch, and I'm going to come to town again. And you know, I wasn't afraid of saying anything, as you can tell. I'm fairly verbose and not afraid to say anything. So that early on I was collecting those emails that, you know, not at huge volumes, but enough. Um, and then in 2007, I got asked to bring my band to a festival in Switzerland and I did not have enough money to fly them over. So I was like, I wonder, Hmm, I wonder if my email list, like if anyone has like work miles or something they won't use. So I asked my email list and I did this whole little airline initiative and said, does anyone have free miles? And I was able to fly over half the bands. So that was the first time I realized that my email list was not just, you know, people there to like receive my newsletters. Um, but they actually wanted to be part of this creative career that I had, even though they may not have, maybe they were lawyers or bankers or whatever. Um, and so that's when I started to realize that I had something that they could be a part of and it wasn't just, they were there to help me, which I think is how a lot of musicians uh, approach their email lists. And that's why it's a sore point of overwhelm. Like you think of your email list, you're like, Oh, I have to send a newsletter. And like, yeah, newsletters stress me out. I would spend a day writing it and then a day formatting it and then a day trying to send it and test it. And blah, blah, blah. nobody like, wants it, newsletters by the way. No. And no one wants know. a newsletter. Yeah. As much yeah. as you hate writing it, they hate receiving it. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, here's the million dollar tip of the whole podcast. Like your email should have one 
link multiple times throughout the email, but it goes, there's one call to action, whether you want them to get on your Instagram, maybe the email is about what your life is like on Instagram and to invite them in, you know, maybe you're selling something, maybe you're selling a CD or a merch package or whatever, but it should be this one thing. No one needs to read nine different things. Um, and no one likes to read that and they don't usually do anything. Right. <laughs> like when you like, they're not going to do nine things, let alone one thing in that kind of format. Um, so anyway, so that's, uh, that's my sort of story with my relationship with my email list is that I realized that they were really valuable. Um, so I, I started to geek out a year ago. I got asked to moderate a panel at South by Southwest about email marketing, which I thought was super weird because I was not, I'd never considered myself like into that world, but I had been doing it effectively. So I went down a rabbit hole and took some courses and went to some digital marketing conferences outside of the music industry and realized there are a lot of tools that I could be using that music industry is definitely not using. I haven't seen anywhere. Um, and so I kind of started to redo how I work at email lists. And a lot of that means automating, meaning setting up, creating content ahead of time and then scheduling it out based on the subscribers behavior. So instead of like, Oh, I have news now, which I still do when, when there's something big, but I don't feel the pressure to do it every month because they're getting emails from me once every two or three weeks, no matter what. So the pressure for me is like, yeah, I went to Mexico city this year and I, in August. And I also, the same month I signed for this big licensing company, that was big news for me. And now I don't feel like I need to send another email broadcast until something else really interesting shows up, but people feel the, the pressure to do that, or they just will leave their list getting nothing for six months, a year or two years, even like, I know that you know, maybe there's some of you, the five years out there. It's fine. It's totally fine. You can, you can warm them back up again and reintroduce them to you. There's a way to do that. So, um, but let me stop you there. You do not re you do not re warm up a list by coming at them with an offer immediately. No, Uh, that's the easiest way to get complaints and unsubscribes. When she says, warm up your list, explain to them some things that they could do over a two, three email period. Yeah. That's, I mean, so I have a, um, a welcome series. And I sort of go through this in my rock your email list course that I have, but in the welcome series, you can use this for re-welcoming people. So for those of you that have a list that is kind of, you know, dead or you have, you haven't had anything, what you think is interesting, by the way, what you think is interesting is often, um, what you think is not interesting is often interesting to other people. I, I learned really late in the game that like my story about being a scuba diver and all this stuff was like, I thought that was really boring. Like I got bored at that job. That's why I switched to music. But people were like, that's interesting. So you're not a good gauge for what your audience wants to hear about. But that's another story. So so what you can do with your list, if you haven't written them in a year or two years or three years, you can can just say, you can be really real with them, first of all. And you better be real with them. Don't pretend like Mm -hmm. nothing happened. Make fun of yourself. Call yourself a loser, a terrible person, you know. You know, I hate it when people just show up after three years, but please forgive me. Here's what I've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Like I ghosted you and here's why, here's what's been up. I was actually, and for me, what I did, I was like, I was actually transitioning from, you know, going from touring all the time and being in contact with you all, all the time, because I always wanted you to come out to my shows to being more of a film score composer. And I also, you know, in the past, it was for me, it was like eight months. And in those eight months I got married, my father passed away and I got my first big feature film to score. So all those reasons were reasons that I stopped touring and, um, and I just didn't want to tell anyone. I wanted everyone to just go away. Right. And I finally was like, 
I told them that. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like you're on this list and I totally get if you don't want to be anymore. There's an unsubscribe button below, but I also am so grateful that you are here and I promise to update you with where my career goes. It's 100% staying in music, but it 100% is not going to look like what it used to look like five years ago. So if you if you want to come on this journey with me, that makes me super happy. Um, and, and you know, it's you can do that over a couple emails. You can tell parts of your story. You, you can do it in one email, but as long as you're setting them up for what's to come and sort of completing what has been. So we've got like the past element, right? Like what happened? Like I emailed you a lot and then I stopped emailing you. Right. You can give them that, that bit of, of that. And then you can say, and here's what you can expect from me in the future. And then you sort of declare them like, I'll, I'll email you once a month. I'm going to do this. I'm going to like, I'm probably going to, I'll give you offers and things you can contribute to. So you're, you know, you can actually tell them that you're going to sell them stuff. Like they're not going to, be pissed off about that, especially when you do send that selling email, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, she, she told us that she was going to do this. So it's not interrupting anything. Right. Well, and I think that's super important to, to be upfront with people. It's those folks that it's like, you know, when you're in a crowd and somebody does something and they pretend that nobody saw it when everybody saw it, it's like, it's not about the mistake. It's about the recovery. And another thing that I think that you touched on that I think super important and a great takeaway is what you may find to be boring or going on in your everyday life is fascinating. I take that for granted sometimes. I forget that not everybody gets to walk into record labels and have these crazy meetings. And that's why one of the features inside my my top level program is called Here for the Pros. It's like, wow, I get to have a lot of cool meetings. So I just tell my friends, now look, I'll take this time with you, but by the way, I get to record it. You know, I get to use it as a teaching moment. They're like, sure, absolutely. You know, it's like, if you want my time, it comes with a camera. Uh, And that's kind of the way that it goes. We've talked about a couple things that have worked. What are some things that don't work real well? Oh, gosh, trying to get your learned from. Yeah, trying to get your whole life story in one email. No one, no one wants to read that, especially the way you tell your life story right now, most likely, which is like, I picked up a guitar when I was eight, and then I did this when I was nine, and then at 14, I joined a band. Like, like the, the, the bullet points of your resume is like not interesting in a, in a welcome email or any email. What is interesting is transitions. When you made a decision, I was seeing this person and I decided not to. Why? I was living here and then I moved here. I was in this job and I quit to do this. Like the, the reason behind decisions is, is really interesting. So I was, you know, working as a, as a marine biologist for the government and I got really bored and an opportunity showed up. I switched to the music industry, you know, and to be able to tell that story over a couple emails will keep people being like, yeah, share these intimate decision-making processes. People are going to resonate with that because everyone's making decisions at any given point in their day. Right. Right. And the more you talk about yours, the more they're going to feel like they know you. And when they feel like they know you, that's where the brand familiarity and the marketing stuff comes in, right? There's that trust, there's that openness and vulnerability. And then when you say, Hey, I have this, this thing for you, they're going to be way more likely to be like, well, I trust you and I want to support you because I know you and I know your story. Um, and, and it's not all to sell, right? It's about building a relationship and it's about taking your subscriber on a journey, which I think is something I haven't mentioned yet that's really important. People think they get an email and you get a subscriber and then you, they just sit there on their list until you need them. But really, you want to take them on a journey and it goes from subscriber. They're probably not a full fan yet. They probably are like, all right, I'll check this out. And then they go to fan. Once you give them this content, you tell your story, they hear more music, you, sh- you, know, you share your, these are my top music videos, this is what you've missed, and welcome to the email. You can do all this in a welcome series really easily. And 
they get to know you and they get to consume your stuff. And then maybe you say, here's a download for, you know, a dollar and, or here's a, what, here's some, a new merch thing that I just put out. And then they, the second that they spend, even if they spend 10 cents on you, they become a customer and that's moving them forward in the, in the journey. Then they become a repeat customer and then they become a super fan. You don't get super fans that aren't buying stuff. Right. You want super fans and you hear that word everywhere. Now you want the super fans, the super fans need to know how to buy stuff. And from there they'll become an advocate, not just someone who buys all your stuff and shows up at your, all your shows, but the one that's getting you the gigs, the one that's telling more people to come into your email list in the first place. So the cycle keeps growing. So if you're not, if you're not, if you're being wonky about asking people for, to, to purchase stuff or or whatever, then you're stopping them in, in the middle of that journey. You're not doing anyone, any services. They don't get to experience more of you. I shared earlier about the different levels of fandom, you know, that that for me, there's three levels. There's that fan that just may have found you, that followed you on social media, doesn't quite really know much about you yet, but was okay enough to say, you know what, I like their page or I'll subscribe to their page. And then there's that next person that comments on everything, uh, that shares everything, that tells everyone how great you are, but hasn't quite uh, opened their wallet yet. You know, there's a lot of those in my world that tell me how great I am and how much they love everything I do and they consume my product every day and they've never spent a dime with me. Then there's that next fan that absolutely opens up their wallet. They're the first person to buy your shirt. They're the first person to share your post. They're actually going out, like Cheryl said, and advocating for you. Those three people don't deserve the same conversation. There's different levels of conversations. And that's what an email list allows you to do, unlike social media, is social media, you get to share one message. In emails, you can move people along and tag them and say, super fan. They're the ones that you want. As soon as you have something for sale, you want to send them an email saying, I wanted you to be the first to know. Because of your support, there's only a limited number, and I knew you would want to hear first. That other fan, thanks so, you know, thanks so much. I thought I would share this with you because then that might be the time that they're now at that next level where they want to purchase yet. They may not have been there yet. And then the other person just kind of gets to hear about it, you know, but you want to treat these people different and an email list allows you to do that and segmenting your email list. Quick question. How soon after you collect an email from a show. So go back to your gig days. When you put up an email list at a show or you do something, do you have an autoresponder set up immediately so that they get something from you while they're at the show, like a free download, which looks really freaking cool? Or how long do you wait before you have that next part of the conversation with them? That's a great question. Here, there are three points of like excitement as, as a consumer. It's like, think about this. If you're going to go buy a TV, when you're researching, you're like really excited, right? So that's kind of like you, when you're at the show, when, when a fan is at the show, they're like very excited. That's the energy you're going to use to get them to sign up for the mailing list. You don't, I personally, and there might be others that disagree with me. I personally don't think it's a great idea to send them the, the song there. Cause they're already excited. The idea is to get that feeling, um, to replicate it later. So when you go and you, you are looking for the TV and then you actually go to the store and you buy the TV, but they're, they're like, we're going to deliver the TV to you and it's going to come in three days. That person's not going to be bummed. They're going to be like, okay, fine. 
And in three days when they get the, the TV, that excitement is back up again. Right. And the brand name and all that stuff is like, so you've created that feeling like multiple times. So when they sign up, if they sign up through, you know, if I do a Facebook ad or if I do a, a cross promotion with another artist or I have a bunch of different ways now, now that I'm not touring to still get signups on my email list. But the, as soon as they sign up on the computer, they get a welcome email with the thing that they downloaded. Right. Right. But when you're specifically at a show and they sign up and they're just, if, even if they're just writing their name down on a pad and pencil, you, you can be fancy and ask them, you can do a text from the stage. You can ask them to like email you or text from, there's all sorts of like technological apps and things that can help you be cool about that. But I, I wouldn't deliver it right away. I would wait the day so that when the energy goes down, they get this new thing from you. They're like, oh yeah, I forgot that that was really awesome. And then two days later, you send them another email with like, hey, here's my most popular music video or my blog post. Have you seen this yet? And then you keep, get, you keep that energy up until it become, you've trained them to when they see your name in, in their inbox, that they open that email and they get to do something. So whether it's clicking on an, an article you've written or to go buy something, like you're actually training them. So you don't want to waste that awesome um, energy that you create at the live show, you kind of want to drip it out. That's, that's my take on it. And that's sure. what I've done. Sure. No, I, I like that. I also have a strategy that works well for day of, uh, is you make an offer and you said, look, I would love to send you this plus a special treat. And one of the things that, uh, I encourage bands to do is to send them some sort of image that looks like $5 off at the merch table or something like that. So you give them a piece of music, maybe something from the show. By the way, I've got an acoustic version of that I would love to share with you and a gift that's only valid while you're here. Check your email or send me a text or something. I always like to do whatever I can to get them over to the merch table. Mm -hmm. And that's a good reminder, especially if you are the opening act and there's two or three other acts that at some point they get a chance to stop by and at least see you. Also yeah. too, is I also encourage people to experiment. You know, it's like, see, see what works. You know, it's like right now there's a lot of texting going on in the major player world because it's very expensive and there's text messages going on throughout the show up on the screen and text this to win this. And it's just this whole kind of frantic kind of thing. Uh, I also love that idea you said is it reminds you of the excitement a couple of days later. I thought that was super cool. I really enjoyed that. So we've talked a little bit about, uh, your journey. We've talked a little bit about the importance of email. We talked a little bit about certain strategies that they can uh, put to use. I would love to be able to allow them to continue this conversation with you. So where is a great place for them to go find out more about you? Maybe get some, you know, free handouts. And if anyone's interested, uh, I know a lot of my clients actually hired you to be a part of their team through some of your programs yeah. when we were at the DIY Musician Conference. But where where can they go to find out more information about you? Uh, everything that I've created for musicians lives at inthekey.co slash results. In the Key of Success is the name of sort of the side thing that I've created over the years of, of creating resources um, to help musicians, mostly because I couldn't find the resource at the time. <laughs> so how yeah. to really send an awesome pitch email or how to really do automation for email lists right um, so that it's not overwhelming. All that stuff that's like not out there for musicians, I, I created myself. So you can find all that stuff, including my podcast or, you know, my interview with you, Rick, sure. Um, sure. my blog, all that there's free stuff there's you know low price point things there's a group 
you know, group thing. And then there's working with me one-on-one, which I don't do a ton of because, you know, I've got film scores and songs that I'm writing and sure. still doing the full-time musician thing, but all that stuff lives at in the co slash results. All right. So we will have that in the show notes. Uh, in the key is I N T H E K E Y dot co C O slash results. So we'll make sure that that's in the show notes. Thank you again. I always love our conversations. They're always fun and inspiring. Uh, I can't wait to share even more of what you do inside my masterclass where we can go deeper and these folks can learn from you and uh, have a great one, my friend. We will talk again real soon. Thank you so much for having me. All right. If you are new to the podcast, I highly uh, encourage you to head over to my website, rickbarker.com. Grab a free copy of the book. Uh, you can also click on the podcast link and hear any of the past episodes. See, uh, get show notes for all the different shows. And I would love, love, love if you found this interesting, please get over and uh, leave a review. Uh, I, I go and I read all of them. Actually, uh, there's an upcoming podcast where I'm just going to kiss your guys' butts uh, coming up where I'm just going to go and it's just a thank you podcast. And I'm just going to read some of the reviews and thank you and and just show my appreciation because as long as you're sharing it, it will continue to grow. And I just want to be able to do whatever I can to serve you. So thank you guys so much. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com. Take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.